to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. It is a delight to see all of you here this morning on this beautiful Sunday morning. appreciate the presence of every single one of you. Whether you're here physically or you're worshiping online, we're delighted that you're part of the audience. I would spend just a moment, though, to remind you, if you're watching online, that the cameras do add 10, I mean 20 pounds to my appearance, and uh, so just make that calculation. Glad you're here this morning. Uh, Let me be very serious for just a moment, if I may. And uh, I I received a a request for prayer from this good uh, church uh, last night from someone that I care very much about. And a lot easier for me to just go ahead and and say what it's about and and then have that prayer rather than to try to communicate all that to Ray. Uh, My son, Luke, has been married for, for some years now to a sweet young lady named Autumn. And Autumn's dad has been fighting an ongoing uh, battle with cancer. And he succumbed to that battle just yesterday. And so Luke has asked on behalf of Autumn and Autumn's mom, Lorraine, and and the rest of uh, the Anglin family, if we would have prayer for them for strength and comfort this morning. Will you bow with me for a moment? Father, we know that when we come to you and petition you about any desire of our heart, that you hear us and that you will answer according to your will. And Father, just now there are people in our family and uh, this church's extended family that are hurting. And Father, we pray for, for the peace and, and the comfort and the strength that they need in this hour of loss and sorrow. Father, tomorrow will be the funeral, and it's going to be a very tough day for everyone concerned. And, and we just pray again that you will be with them and strengthen them and bless them in just a million good ways, Father, that, uh, that they need so desperately in this time of sorrow. And we're grateful that you hear our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Also, very seriously, before we study together this morning, let me just say, I've been a part at least of some of the discussions that our good shepherds have had about how to maneuver and navigate us through this pandemic. And I will guarantee you, and I imagine most of you already have assumed this, that the decisions that they have made about when to come back and what to do and all the precautions that we need to take have not uh, been done lightly. And uh, I just want to say how grateful I am. I think they have done an absolutely fantastic job. Uh, And and also to assure you that every decision that they've made is with the welfare and and the well-being and the health and safety of this congregation in mind. And I just wanted to to pat them on the back before you this morning and express my deep appreciation for all those decisions that they've made that are, are not easy. And I think every one of us is aware of the fact that, hey, we're writing the rule book on this as we go along. And our our shepherds have not done that lightly, and they have done a fantastic job in my estimation. Now to our study. There was a uh, New York City lawyer who traveled to South Texas to do some dove hunting, and, and he shot a dove, and when it fell, it fell in a nearby pasture. So he did the only logical thing that he could think of, and that was climb the fence, got in the pasture to go get and retrieve the bird. Well, as he was walking through the pasture, the rancher who owned the property came riding up on his tractor, and and, and he asked the hunter, what are you doing on my property? And the lawyer said, well, I shot a dove, and I'm going to go get it. 
And the rancher said, well, this is my private property, and so you can get off of it right now. Well, the hunter said, I'll have you know that I'm a lawyer from New York City, and if you don't let me get my bird, I will sue you for everything you've got. Well, the rancher said, well, down here in Texas, we usually settle disputes with the Texas three-kick rule. And the lawyer said, what's that? And the rancher said, well, I kick you three times, and then you kick me three times, and then I kick you three times, and whichever one survives that, he wins. Well, the lawyer looked at the old rancher, and he thought, well, I'm younger and stronger than this old geezer. I can take him easily. And so the rancher climbed down off his tractor, walked toward the lawyer, and before the lawyer could prepare himself, the rancher planted the tip of his old cowboy boot as hard as he could in in the lawyer's shin. And then the rancher kicked the lawyer in his midsection, knocking the breath completely out of him. And when he fell to his knees, the the rancher kicked him in the side of the head. Well, the lawyer, as you can imagine, lay there in pain for a few minutes. But then when he got to his feet, he said, now it's my turn. I'll show you how we kick in York City. And as the lawyer moved toward him, the rancher smiled and said, nah, I give up. You can keep the bird. (laughs) There may be... There may be times when you feel like you have been on the receiving end of a good beating. And when we've been knocked down physically, that's, that's something that uh, we certainly pay attention to. And it stuns us and it, and it leaves us in a daze. But let me say something in light of our text this morning. Paul could tell you that when you have been knocked down mentally, emotionally, and spiritually, that's another thing altogether. I think you can recover from a physical beating a lot more easily and sooner than you can recover from a beating of the mental and the spiritual sort. But the good news in all of that is, and and Paul tells us that in our text, and I hope you'll keep your Bible open to 2 Corinthians, because we're going to be looking at this passage, we're going to be walking through it and taking four of the main principles that, that Paul shares with us there about how we can be knocked down but not knocked out in our spiritual lives as well, because we're all going to experience some kind of pain some kind of suffering in our lives. And Paul says that is an inevitability. If you're going to follow Christ, you're going to, you're going to suffer some. And here's the way to handle that. Here's the way to be able to get by and, and get out on the other side to, to, to wind up on the other end of that tunnel. And you can actually be stronger than you were before that whole, that whole process began. So at some level, we know that, that, that kicking back is not going to help the situation. In fact, it'll just make matters worse. But the good news that Paul shares with us in our text is, again, even though we're knocked down on occasion, that doesn't mean that we're knocked out. But, but we need to put off the frustration that, that causes us to want, to want to kick back like the lawyer in the story just because we've been wounded and hurt. There is a right way, Paul says, to respond to those difficult situations in our lives. At least that's what he said in our text. And so we're going to take him at his word, knowing that this is not just Paul writing, he's writing by inspiration. So this is the mind of God, who has inspired Paul to be able to write these words of counsel, even to us 2,000 years later. Notice he said that we have, and this is where I really want to begin the discussion this morning. He said we have this treasure in clay jars. Uh, if you're a student of the Bible, that's not unfamiliar language to you. You, you know this reference is here. In fact, there's even a singing group called Clay's, uh, uh, Jars of Clay, and, and it's, it's the reference to this very passage. 
And, and he's showing us that this all-surpassing power that we can have within us is, is from God. It, it's not us. It's not anything that, uh, any power that we're able to generate on our own. So don't miss the fact that Paul is telling God's people here that we are jars of clay. Now, I'm not the, I'm not the first preacher to point out that, that what Paul really means is that we are cracked pots. Now, not cracked pots. That's a different issue. But we are cracked pots. We're, we're broken pieces of pottery. It's what Paul is communicating, and, and yet God still chooses to, to display his power and his purposes even in our imperfections. And that's why Paul would later write that out of my weakness I have been made strong. Because he came to realize that sometimes it's the cracks that we get. Sometimes it's the battle scars that we're wearing that makes us the kind of and gives us the character and the fortitude that we need to be able to win the battle. And so all of this, I think, is a part of the package that Paul is offering us here in our text this morning. So, in fact, we're a lot like containers that house the wonderful treasure of Jesus Christ. We can think of it that way. We're just earthen vessels. And Christ himself lives within us in a spiritual way. In fact, Minister David Dykes once said, sometimes you can find treasure inside the most ordinary things. And that's true of us, but it's true of other things as well. He went on to illustrate, he said, there was a couple in Lander, Wyoming, who visited the local garbage dump to dispose of some trash. And as they were, as they were dumping their trash... Uh, they saw someone had discarded the headboard to an old, uh, old uh, king-sized bed, and they thought, that looks like that might be restored. And so they, they went to put it on the back of their truck, and it was extremely heavy. And as they were loading it onto the truck, there was a wooden peg that came off of the bottom of the side uh, of one of the uh, head posts, and all of a sudden gold coins began spilling out. Both legs of that old headboard had been hollowed out, and contained a fortune in gold coins coming from the 19th century. And again, Dykes used that as an illustration of there can be some things that you find in the garbage dump that are filled with something very valuable. And I think that's a lesson that we need to draw from our text this morning too, don't you? Is that even though we may not look that great on the outside, guess what? There's a treasure on the inside, or at least there can be. That's the kind of spiritual potential that every one of us has. If we're followers of Jesus Christ, we can find treasure in the most unlikely of places. Now, let me be very clear about this. That doesn't mean that, that we're God. And, and the Bible tells us that. There is one sovereign God. We serve him. And I love that line from the, the, the movie Rudy from some years ago where the priest tells Rudy, listen, I've learned two things in my ministry. Number one, there is a God. Number two, I ain't him. You know, and, and we're not God. We understand that. Psalm 8 does say that we're made a little lower than deity, but still we, have, we are image bearers of God. And, and every one of us has that not only responsibility to bear his image, to be a representative and ambassador of Jesus Christ as we walk in this world, but we also have that as a wonderful and a grand privilege. And even though, Paul says, even though we're flawed, even though the pot is cracked, as in the case of pottery, we can still be used to display the character of Jesus Christ, and we can still be used to share his gospel with the world. But, but that doesn't mean that it's going to come without any trials or any difficulties or any challenges. 
And that's also implicit in this text. If we think that it's going to be a bed of roses following Jesus, then we need to think again. Because there are going to be some wonderful blessings, no doubt about it. It is the abundant life that Jesus promised, John 10 verse 10. But there are also going to be some difficulties, some hardships, and some challenges that are part of that life. And guess what? Paul knew experientially exactly what he was talking about. Because he had been through those things. I mean, things that were absolutely unbelievable. It's hard to wrap your brain around what Paul had experienced because of his discipleship. So we're very far from being perfect. We all understand that. But the potter is seeking to mold us and to shape us into what we need to be. But remember, that doesn't happen without some some pain and some grief and some heartache along the way. We would do well, I think, to go back and read that Old Testament book of Jeremiah, where Jeremiah actually uses that illusion and says that we as God's people are like lumps of clay on a potter's wheel. And our responsibility basically is to make sure that we stay on the wheel long enough for God to make us into the kind of vessel that will be most useful and suitable for his service. And I think that's a powerful lesson that every one of us needs to reappreciate. So in this lesson, I want to very quickly examine how that we can get how we get these cracks and, and then how God uses that pain and that difficulty and those challenges to, to make us into a better vessel. And I want us to see that Paul is telling us that God would allow us to be cracked, but he will never allow us to be crushed. And, and you can go ahead and deposit that in your spiritual bank. That is a part of Paul's affirmation here. Notice that he mentions four sources of pain in this life that we can experience too. Now, a lot of things culturally have changed in 2,000 years, and that's a tremendous understatement. But one thing is for certain. One thing is consistent with Paul's own experience and the experience of those first century Christians, and that is that we experience much of the same hardship that they experience, at least in a general sort of way. So here, here are the sources of pain that can be brought about in our lives, that can actually benefit us and make us into the vessel that God would have us to be. Number one, we may be cracked by personal pressures. Notice Paul says in our text that we are are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. You don't have to be a a major in grammar to know that the word pressure has as its root word press. That's what Paul, that's the, the grammatical illusion that Paul is using here. Somebody ask you, have there ever been times in your life where you felt like the walls were closing in on you? That the pressure was just too great for you? That when you got up in the morning, you didn't look forward to the day, you dreaded it. And you wondered what was going to happen at work this time or what was going to happen in your family, the conflict, the difficulties that you may be experiencing for the present moment. Are those going to ever end? Will we ever see a light at the end of the tunnel? And if we do, is it the light of an oncoming train? You've been there. You know what it's like to suffer that kind of pressure. And Paul says, I want you to know that if you walk in the pathway of Jesus, that you're going to suffer some pressure, personal pressures in your life. If you've been there, if you felt that, then you know something of the way that Paul felt. And there may be different reasons why people feel that kind of pressure. It can be pressure, as I mentioned, that you feel at work. It can be pressure that you're feeling in your family at home. It can be unbearable financial pressure that is weighing heavily on you. And it's no secret to any of us that, especially for married folks, well, I guess this would really include all of us, that one of the 
major sources of conflict, at least between husbands and wives, is, is financial issues. That doesn't surprise any of us because there can be pressure involved if there's too much month left at the end of the money, if you know what I mean. Several years ago, people would often have an in and an out basket on their desk in order to keep things under control and kind of keep everything organized. You know, the work that was coming in and the work that had been done and was, was going out, hence the in and out. I, I, you understand the reference, I'm sure. I heard about a guy that decided that in and out wasn't good enough. And so he had four baskets he put on his desk, and, and one of them was labeled urgent. The next one was labeled frantic. The third one was labeled overdue, and the fourth one was labeled forget about it. And, and, and maybe that's the kind of pressure that you're feeling. That may be what some of us, how some of us feel in handling our personal pressures. And yet we need to hear the uncomfortable truth at this point that God is not here to make our lives easy. I'm going to say that again. God, God's number one objective in our lives is not to make our lives easy. If you're trying to find that somewhere in Scripture, good luck with that because you're not going to find a verse that tells you that. And Remember we said just a few weeks ago that God wants his people to maturate and not hibernate. He wants us to grow and not just sit so that we can be safe from any difficulties in life. And that's all still true. The heretical prosperity gospel, the philosophy of health and wealth, that if you follow the Lord, then everything in your life is just going to be wonderful and it's always going to be, you know, the sun's going to be shining, the sky's going to be blue. The problem with that philosophy and that doctrine is that it is patently false. And if we're honest, most of us would admit that we're blessed beyond measure by the Lord already. Our, our real desire, our real urgent need is not necessarily for more things, but just to learn to be content with what we already have. But we know that there are going to be some rough times in our life, and some of those are going to come on us unexpectedly. Well, that's an understatement, isn't it? I mean, who among us at the beginning of 2020 would ever have thought that we would be sitting here socially distanced wearing masks and experiencing the pandemic that we've been experiencing for the last five months or so. I mean, I, I never envisioned that. I'm not a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I don't know of anybody that saw that coming. And that's the way it is with a lot of life's hardships, isn't it? They catch you unawares. They catch you unexpectedly. And so Paul is telling us in our text that, yes, we're going to be pressured, but God's word promises us over and over again that he will not allow us to be destroyed. You may be cracked by the pressures of life, but you will never be crushed. Here's a second source of those difficulties and pain in our life, and that is that we may be cracked by personal frustrations. Paul wrote in our text, watch this, if, if you're reading from the New King James or some of the modern versions as well, you may find the word perplexed there. I'm, we are perplexed, but not in despair. Interesting word choice there. This word perplexed was used to describe someone who had been ruined in business and his creditors had left him absolutely nothing. I mean, you'd have to take two steps up just to, to file chapter 13 is what we're talking about. That's the imagery of the original language. This person was at his wit's end and he couldn't figure out what to do next. That's what we mean by personal frustrations. And I think Paul was, was bewildered. That's why he says that we are perplexed but not in despair. 
Paul said, I can experience that. I, I can tell you what that feels like. Because Paul w- was bewildered, not so much because he was suffering, but I think a part of his conundrum was he was suffering because of his discipleship. You know, sometimes we have that idea, don't we, that idyllic concept in, in mind that if I follow Jesus, then he's going to immunize me from any of the difficulties in life. And Paul said, no, it didn't work that way. But Paul knew what that felt like. After all, it seemed logical that if you're following God supremely, if you love God sincerely, then, then life ought to be fine and dandy. And Paul says that's, that's not the way it works for true discipleship. You and I know it didn't work that way. If not, just reread Asaph's dilemma in Psalm 73. He went through that whole process. And that's worth looking at very closely. So guess what? Even the best and the finest of God's people can have second thoughts about their faith. Can wonder in times of great oppression and pressure and difficulty, is it worth it to take up the cross of Jesus and to follow him daily? And, and that's a question that we all have to ask ourselves. But, but I want you to know that some of God's finest people ask those questions. Is my faith worth pursuing? Is it worth having? Is it worth holding on to even at the risk of my own health and my own life? You may remember that when John the Immerser was in prison, he sent word to Jesus asking, are, are you really the Messiah? Or should we be looking for somebody else? Notice that. The forerunner of Jesus Christ, the one who came to make the way straight, to prepare the way and the hearts of men for the coming of the Messiah, he's asking questions like, Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Or should we be looking for somebody else? I think one of the things that Paul or that John was implying in those questions was, if I'm going to languish here behind bars and suffer the way I'm suffering, and you may remember the way John died was having his head cut off, but, but that makes the question even more valid. If I'm going to suffer because of my discipleship and because of my kingdom service, because I'm, I'm doing your work, I want to make absolutely certain that you are the real deal. It, folks, it's not wrong to ask those kinds of questions. In fact, I think a healthy faith will ask those questions and then will not be satisfied until we get the answers. And remember, this was the very same guy who had baptized Jesus And who saw heaven open and heard the voice of God himself say, this is my beloved son, listen to him. And yet John was perplexed to use Paul's word in our text. And he had to ask Jesus, are you really the Messiah? Now watch this. It's okay to ask those questions as long as we don't allow our frustrations to turn into despair. If you remember Job back in the Old Testament, I'm sure you do. That's one of the most ancient books we have in our Bible. He asked a boatload of questions about why he was suffering. And God came to Job and started asking a series of questions himself. And basically, God was saying to Job, All right, Job, now when you can answer my questions, then I'll be happy to answer your questions. And he asked a series of 40 questions in that book. And yet, in spite of Job's perplexing situation, he never allowed his faith to turn into despair. And, And that's why I'm... I'm mentioning him again this morning. Later it was by faith, and I think nothing but faith at that point that Job said, though he slay me, yet will I hope in him. Job 13, verse 15. So life can be incredibly frustrating, so much so that we find ourselves cracking under the uncertainties and the doubts and the questions that keep popping up in our minds. 
We may be cracked, but we're not crushed. We may be perplexed, but we don't ever have to give in to despair. Quickly, here's a third source. We may be cracked by personal attacks. Paul wrote that he had been persecuted. Notice the text. Persecuted, but not abandoned. I think it's worth spending some time, when you've got some time, to think more clearly and closely, to scrutinize that passage, to talk about it in a Bible class sometime, exactly what does that mean? Persecuted, but not abandoned. You might realize that the word persecuted here refers to the practice of of hunters who are actually hunting down an animal. And Paul understood that word better than we do. Because during his ministry, there was a group of radical militant Jews who followed him from city to city. I mean, they were the original stalkers, if you know what I mean. And they followed Paul everywhere he went, trying to have him arrested and punished. And Paul had to deal with that while he was trying to present the unsearchable riches of Christ to the people who really wanted to hear the message. And I'm just saying this morning that persecution against Christianity, even in our nation, is nothing new. I mean, we're experiencing some more of that maybe than we've experienced in our lifetimes, but that's nothing new. Most of the persecution that we receive is a lot more subtle than that, isn't it? There there aren't people that, for the most part, who follow us around and try to get us arrested and punished. It's a lot more subtle in the culture in which we live. And so people may use taunts and slander and criticism to attack us for our faith. And maybe you know what it's like to have even friends or family members ridicule you because of your faith and because of your moral convictions. And every time they make a sarcastic, cutting remark, you can just feel those hairline cracks appearing in your faith. And I've noticed that, that, that loving people is easy when they treat you right and when they treat you with a proper amount of respect. But what happens when you're not treated in a good way? Paul is raising that question in our text. What happens when the other person does not treat us with respect? How are God's people supposed to react then? And and Paul is giving us the answer. What happens when you're like the lady I heard about? Her husband gave her a fully paid, by the way only husbands could do this, gave her a fully paid funeral plan for her birthday. What, What a romantic, really. But anyway... I mean, you know, cemetery lot, nice casket, the whole deal. That's what he gave her for her birthday. Well, at her next birthday, he didn't give her anything. And she asked him, why didn't I get a present this year? And the husband said, because you didn't use what I gave you last year. Well, most of us know at times in our lives exactly how Rodney Dangerfield felt when he said, I don't get no respect. Listen to what Jesus told his disciples in Matthew 5. I'm going to begin with verse 43. I'm going to skip around a little bit, but I I want you to get the crux of Jesus' response to and and dealing with the very issue we're talking about this morning in the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew 5, 43, beginning, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Now, they didn't get that from the Old Testament, by the way, but it had been said. You've, You've heard that that's the way you ought to treat people. So love your neighbor and hate your enemy, but I tell you, you love your enemies. And you pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, 
What are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Those are some penetrating questions that he was asking people as he was sitting there on that hill and addressing that crowd that day. And Paul wants us to know that that we may be attacked, but we will never, ever, even in the midst of the most intense persecution, ever be abandoned by God. Isn't that a consolation? I find all kinds of assurance and, and strength and confidence from just knowing that. God will never, ever abandon us. In fact, Hebrews 13, 5 says it well. One translation of that verse says, God will never under any circumstances ever leave you or forsake you. And Paul is using at least that concept as he's talking about his own persecutions and his own experiences and saying, you're you're going to have to deal with some of this too. It doesn't matter whether it's century one or the 21st century, you're going to have to experience some hardship if you follow Christ. And we have to take the high road in those situations and and do these radical things that Jesus said even toward our enemies and not just treat our friends right, but try to treat other people with agape love, seeking their highest welfare even though we may not like them at the moment. By the way, let me add this. We're almost through. Most people who attack us and will persecute us are not properly dealing with stuff in their own lives. Just say, hurting people hurt other people. Here's the final source that Paul says that you can look at. We may be cracked by personal failures. Paul says in our text that he'd been struck down but not destroyed. Struck down but not destroyed. The original word for struck down here came from the gladiatorial games. When a a fighter had been pinned by his opponent... And he was waiting for the thumbs up or the thumbs down signal from either the crowd or the king. You know the atrocious and brutal way that that went about. You've you've read history and you know that that happened. And history indicates that many times the, the signal was thumbs down. And the blood of innocent Christians spilled on the arena floor. Paul knew what that felt like. He had been knocked down so many, many times. But Paul could then smile and say, but you know what? I've never been knocked out. All the while he realized that he was not a perfect, flawless vessel. And even though his clay pot was cracked, Paul says, I'm not destroyed. Knocked down, but not destroyed. Listen to one rendering of Paul's own experience expressed by inspiration in Romans chapter 7, starting with verse 15. Again, I'm skipping around. I apologize. Paul said, but I don't really understand myself. Does this at all sound biographical for you? It does for me. I think we all have this civil war that's going on inside of us. And even the great apostle Paul said, I don't really understand myself, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. I want to do what's right, but I can't. I I want to do what's good, but I don't. I don't want to do what's wrong, but I do it anyway. I have discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what's right, I inevitably do what's wrong. Paul said every time I come to a fork in the road, I I, I make the wrong choice, it seems like. And I wonder, have you ever felt that way in your own Christian journey? I think we all have. Many things can knock us down in life. Paul wants us to know that, but nothing knocks us down. Listen to me, church. Nothing knocks us down for quite as long and quite as low as our own bad choices our own personal failures. When someone else lets us down, when husband or wife, mom or dad let us down, that's one thing and it hurts. 
But again, nothing keeps us down for quite as long as when we look at the situation, we assess the outcome and the consequences, and we go, that's on me. That, that every bit of it was my own fault. It was something, a bad choice that I made, and now I'm having to reap the harvest of that bad choice. It is one thing to be let down again by another person, but nothing will knock our feet out from under us quite like being let down by ourselves. Here's the point, and, and I hope you'll put this point in your heart and remember it. The devil wants us to stay down. That's what he's in business for, and he knows his work well. He does it well. He wants us to stay down, and he will celebrate if he can, if he can get us to just lie there in defeat and, and wallow in the juices of our own failure, then he will laugh up his satanic sleeve because that's exactly what he wants you to do. That's what he wants me to do. And he wants us, church, to give up. But like Paul, we have to say, no, 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 I will not give up. I am knocked down, but I am not knocked out. And I'm going to get back up, and I'm going to walk for the master, and I'm going to be better equipped now than I ever was before. I have learned something in my pain. And folks, that's the most ignorant person that could ever live, is, is folks that still, who fail but still did not learn anything from their pain and the consequences of the suffering. But Paul says, we have to get back up. No one is defeated until they have relegated themselves to that position. One last illustration, and we're through. Back in 19, this is, comes from, from ancient history, by the way. Back in 1976, an unknown writer and an actor by the name of Sylvester Stallone presented a script about an underdog uh, boxer named Rocky Balboa. Maybe you've heard the names. And after, after his script having been turned down by a number of studios, one studio took a chance, made the film in 28 days at the even then low budget of $1.2 million dollars. Uh, if you know anything about making movies, you know that $1.2 million today won't even pay for the catering service for the making of a movie. They made that movie $1.2 million, and you may also remember that Rocky won Best Picture, won the Oscar that year, and went on to, to garner $117 million at the box office in the U.S. alone, and that's in 1976 uh, value. There have been a lot of sequels to, to, to the Rocky franchise. But some of us especially loved, I believe it was number four, where he, uh, where he fought Ivan Drago, the Russian. Y'all remember that? You want to start chanting USA at this point? No, okay. But one of the things that stands out to me about number four was that Rocky was knocked down so many times and had gotten back up so many times that toward the end of the fight that even some of the Russians in the audience were screaming his name. What was so special about Rocky? Why did he captivate our imaginations and why did he capture our hearts? I think it was the fact that he just wouldn't quit. You know, we'd get knocked down and he would get back up and he would just keep fighting one more round. You may remember that in the first uh, iteration of the Rocky movies, he even lost the fight to Apollo Creed. That's where I think he yelled Adrian at the end of the movie as the credits were rolling. But we were inspired by, by someone who got knocked down and who just kept getting back up. Let me tell you, the, the, the secret to success is not really a secret. And if you need to write this down, I hope you will. If not, just remember it. 
The secret to success is to get back up just one more time than you get knocked down. And, and I want to leave you with some good news. I know that everything that we've talked about this morning, not all of it has been re- really positive, but it's been helpful if we will take this to heart. Here's some good news. We are all, church, we are all in a fight spiritually. But it's a fixed fight. We know how it turns out. And if you, if you don't know, and if you haven't read Revelation seventeen fourteen lately, I'll tell you, spoiler alert, we win. God's people win. And that's the way this fight turns out. But before the final round, Paul says, you can count on it. You're going to get knocked down. But God assures us through Paul's inspired pen that, that he will not allow us to get knocked out. And when it's time for us to leave the ring of life, Can we say with Paul, I have fought a good fight? Or will we throw in the towel and quit somewhere along the way? I I pray not. I am begging you this morning to stand up and to stand firm and to believe in the immutable promises of God. We have his unmitigated promise that we can all survive the experiences that threaten to crack us as we walk through life. I also need to tell you that that, that God has a, a purpose for our pain. It's, it's a question that never really goes away. But the Charlie Body did a fantastic job recently in a series on, on human suffering. And it's uh, one of the most thorough jobs and address the situation. If you, I think those are archived. If you haven't heard Brother Charlie on that subject, I would encourage you to do that. But again, that's a question that's still around today. It's why do, why do good people suffer? It's a good question. And we look around us and we see all the tragedy and the struggles that we or others are experiencing. We have to wonder, why, why is God allowing good people to suffer and, and allow such bad things to happen to them? And, and we will deal with that, Lord willing, next Sunday morning as a sequel to this particular lesson. But I just wanted you to know what Paul's message to us was. You can get knocked down in your Christian life. And in all likelihood, if you've lived the Christian life long enough, if you've been in the arena of life long enough, you've been knocked down not once, not twice, but a number of times. Paul says your determination and God's purpose and destiny for your life is that you can get knocked down, but you will not stay down. You're not knocked out. In fact, you can come back from that stronger than you've ever been. I I, I read this uh, several times, not being a medical doctor, before I finally uh, sunk in that this just might be right. That when you break a bone, oftentimes the place where the bone heals is stronger than it was before it was broken. And and I think that there's a spiritual application to that, folks. We can come out stronger on the other end. What you got to do is to hang in there and never, ever quit. And if you want to sign on to the Lord's Army this morning... And and maybe read the fine print and use the escape clause somewhere along the way. Maybe, Maybe you're not kingdom material, or at least it's not time yet in your life for you to make that decision. But if you're ready to follow the Lord, if you're ready to suffer whatever needs to be suffered, to experience whatever needs to be experienced, and determine that you're going to walk in his footsteps all the day of your life, then you're ready to become a Christian right now while we stand and while we sing.